Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, we explore two approaches to sustainable investing. Jackie Cook urges investors to make a positive impact with their portfolios. And Hortense Bioy shows us what to look for in an investment's sustainability claims. Let's get started. Here are Alyssa Stankowicz from Morningstar Research Services and Hortense Bioy from Morningstar UK. Hi, my name is Alyssa Stankowitz. I'm a sustainability analyst within Morningstar Manager Research. At Morningstar, we've identified six distinct approaches to sustainable investing. These include applying exclusions, limiting ESG risk, seeking ESG opportunities, practicing active ownership, targeting sustainability themes, and assessing impact. Today, we're speaking with Hortense Bioy, who is the Global Director of Sustainability Research within Morningstar Manager Research. Hi, Hortense. Hi, Alisa. Today, we're here to talk about two of these approaches, divestment, which is related to applying exclusions, and engagement, which is one form of practicing active ownership. Both of these movements are growing, which is leading to a debate, especially in the context of the climate crisis. What can you tell me about that? Yes, you're absolutely right, Alisa. And I think this is absolutely fascinating because both movements are are growing, are really growing fast. Uh, Today, there are more than 1,300 institutions globally representing over $14 trillion that have committed to um, some form of fossil fuel divestment. Uh, A recent prominent example is uh, three New York City pension funds which announced that they were going to divest $4 billion worth of fossil fuel companies. At the same time, more asset managers and asset owners are saying that they are engaging with companies to try and improve the ESG practices and in the context of the climate crisis to accelerate the transition to a low-carbon economy. So... Let's talk about the advantages and disadvantages of these approaches. Why might investors choose to divest? Well, there there are several uh, reasons why a sustainability-aware investor might want to divest from a stock or a particular sector. Uh, The first and and most common reason is is ethical. Uh, They want to avoid complicity with companies that don't align with the values. Other investors may want to divest to influence companies by increasing the cost of capital. This strategy seeks to hamper the company's ability to pursue investments in the activities that the investor dislikes. Interesting. What about financial reasons to divest? Uh, You're right. There are financial uh, reasons also to to divest. Uh, Some investors divest to reduce risk in the portfolio, especially if they think that those risks haven't been priced in by the market properly. For example, investors might divest from fossil fuel companies because of the various risks associated with climate change. And finally, an opportunistic argument to divest is to free up capital so you can invest in other, possibly more profitable companies. Hmm. What are the arguments against divesting? I know there's one big concern about forgoing returns. Yes, that's right. There is always the possibility that the companies that you sell out of 
end up performing better than the companies you've bought with your divestment money. Mm. You could also miss out on opportunities. So if you avoid all oil and gas companies, for example, you might miss out on those companies that are transitioning to be competitive in a low carbon economy. Interesting. So how effective is divestment at actually driving change? Well, so far, actually, there is little evidence to show that divesting is influencing companies or increasing their cost of capital. Some research found that 20% of a stock would need to be sold for the cost of capital to increase. But uh, that would set a high bar for effective divestment campaigns. There's also a, a, another counter-argument to divestment. Um, it's that when investors sell their shares of a company, they are bought by other investors. So divesting from an oil and gas company doesn't do anything to reduce its carbon emissions. Selling dirty assets could actually make things worse if these assets end up in private hands because there is much less transparency in private markets than there is in public markets. So a solution might be to stay invested in these companies and try to engage? Uh, yes, uh, if, of course, it makes financial sense to stay invested in these companies. In this case, a responsible manager with the appropriate resources should engage with the companies, try and influence them, uh, so that they improve their practices and mitigate the risks that the asset managers would have identified. Engagement now can take many forms. Uh, asset managers uh, and asset owners can engage with companies through letters to CEOs, conversations with uh, investor relations people, meeting with uh, top executives and, and the board members. They can also do collaborative engagement to give more weight to the conversations. So what would you say are some hallmarks of a good engagement strategy? Well, what's really important uh, when managers and, and asset owners engage with companies is that they set measurable expectations for improvement and that they put in place a clear escalation strategy. For example, if a company doesn't make sufficient progress towards the goals set by a manager, then the manager may vote against a company management and the board of directors, signaling the lack of confidence in the leadership's ability to address the company's risks. That's actually an increasingly popular strategy. Hmm. I know voting can be a powerful tool, but what if that alone doesn't prove effective? Yeah, it's true that voting doesn't always work. And, uh, and, and I think that's why divestment, or at least uh, the possibility of divestment, remains an important tool uh, to have in the toolkit. Uh, the absence of divestment threat uh, would render engagement toothless. Now, I, I think to conclude, uh, what we can say is that far from being mutually exclusive, engagement and divestment can be mutually reinforcing and if a manager does decide to sell, a noisy exit is preferable then and more impactful than a silent one. So ultimately, it's not that one approach is better than the other. The two actually go hand in hand. Thank you for your insight today. 
Thank you for having me, Alisa. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, Jackie Cook and Tom Loricella from Morningstar Research Services discuss deforestation. Hi, and welcome. I'm Tom Loricella, editor for professional audiences at Morningstar. And I'm here today speaking with Jackie Cook, who's director of investment stewardship research at Morningstar. Jackie, thanks for being here today. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. So we're here today to chat about a, a very serious topic, and that's uh, deforestation, which is uh, probably one of the greatest threats uh, that the world is facing. And you know, it's, it, and it's a key part of the climate risk that uh, so many folks, and in particular investors as well, are concerned about. Uh, we recently uh, had an article in which we discussed um, the hidden risks of deforestation in portfolios. And um, we just want to talk through some of the, the, the aspects of this that a lot of investors may not realize and understand about uh, how deforestation actually plays out, where it shows up in their portfolios, and you know, what as an investor should they be thinking about in regards to deforestation. Mm-hmm. So the first question here is, you know, so you know, we, 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 we see deforestation, we see the pictures of the jungles being burnt down and bulldozed. Um, but, but why is it an investment risk? Why should investors uh, be concerned about deforestation? Yeah, you know, so thinking about um, deforestation as an investment risk, I think of it on two levels. One is, as you say, deforestation is a global crisis um, and it's driving climate change, it's driving biodiversity loss, it's driving species extinction. Um, it's also, um, you know, driving people off their land. So it's a human rights um, crisis. A lot of indigenous peoples are affected by deforestation. So in that sense, it affects everybody and it affects investors, um, you know, creating financial risk across the system. So it's a market wide risk and that transcends portfolios. But of course, some portfolios are going to be more exposed to deforestation risk because they're the companies in the supply chain that are part of the um, global commodities chain that contributes to deforestation are at an increased risk, especially now that um, international attention is um, is being trained um, increasingly on, on this global crisis. So deforestation risk in portfolios would come down to, you know, your exposure to consumer brands, companies that source from, um, from the supply chain that ultimately leads to right. the forests, um, tropical forests, um, boreal forests from which agricultural commodities are um, extracted. Right. I mean, m- many investors might look at their portfolio and say, I don't think I have any companies in here that are actually bulldozing rainforests. Um, you know, I, I don't see that in, in, in my portfolio. So, you know, when you talk about supply chain, what, what do we really mean here? So what, what types of companies, what types of industries um, on a more specific level are we looking at? And, and how does deforestation um, make its way through that, that, that food chain, as it were? Yeah, so if you look at your portfolio and you have consumer goods um, companies in there, you might have um, food brands like Kroger or um, Domino's Pizza. Um, You might have um, uh, companies like Procter & Gamble, uh, Unilever. 
Um, these companies are all sourcing um, raw materials for their products that come from um, that ultimately come from forests. Um, now they would be sourcing them from trading companies, trading companies like um, Archer Daniels Midland, um, uh, from, uh, Cargill, um, Bungie. You know, those are some of the trading companies that sit. Um, they're in the U.S., but then you actually have trading companies that sit in the exporting country um, as well. Um, Wilmar, um, uh, probably the largest supplier of palm oil globally, sits in Indonesia. You know, so there's this international trade in these global commodities, and these global commodities look pretty much. I mean, you know, it's a commodity. So once it enters the supply chain and is mixed with, um, you know, mixed with the same commodity from different sources, it's this, it's the same thing. Now, these trading companies source from producers. Um, and, so, you know, sometimes there's some vertical integration. You've got the producers, you've got the, um, the, the um, so the, on the producer side, you might have the plantations, the growers, um, the logging companies with forest licenses. Um, and then you've got the processes, the mills and the, um, uh, those that, you know, prepare the raw material for the supply chain. Um, so you, you might think of the uh, supply chain in four groups. You've got the producers, um, you've got the um, processors, you've got the trading companies, you've got the consumer brands. But of course, there can be vertical integration between right. these. Um, right. And we also, we, there's also um, um, meat producers, right? There's, um, I mean, this is a prime yeah. source of deforestation, as we discovered in our, in our story. I mean, the, a lot of the, 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 the destruction of rainforests is to make room for, for cattle grazing, cattle raising, right? That's right. That's especially um, a problem in Brazil, um, in the Amazon. Um, and in Brazil, you've got JBS. That's, uh, that's perhaps the biggest uh, trader of beef um, in Brazil. So from an investment perspective, so, in a, so um, um, folks might look at their portfolio. They might have mutual funds that, that own these particular stocks, um, particularly if they own a, a broad-based index fund. They're probably going to have some of these names in there. Um, what's being done in the, in, in the, in the asset management industry to address some of these, these, these problems with deforestation? Um, are the big asset managers doing anything um, to say, hey, you need to make sure that um, the way you run your business is trying to avoid uh, being connected with deforestation? Um, are, are they taking a stand anywhere? Um, you know, um, in 2019, um, asset manager or investors got together to sign the investor statement on deforestation and forest fires in the Amazon. Um, there's an example of investors getting together to, um, you know, to, to come together with a single voice, because one of the problems, um, you know, throughout the supply chain and even amongst investors is this collective action problem. So in the short term, you're better off um, sourcing your product from, you know, um, clear cut lands or, or lands that have been illegally burnt. Um, you know, it, it could be cheaper and it could be um, and it's, in, you know, the product is indistinguishable. It's very difficult to trace. So the really important um, approach to solving this problem is, sol is solving the collective action problem at each stage of the um, of the supply chain. And so investors coming together to sign these agreements and commitment commitments is very important. 
Um, Friends of the Earth did a review of the investors who signed the investor statements on deforestation and forest fires in the Amazon in 2019 um, called Doubling Down and found that the big three were not using their heft. The, um, big, the big three are? Um, uh, BlackRock, Vanguard and um, State Street, the big three asset managers. They were not using their heft um, to pressure um, consumer goods companies that they held in their portfolios to um, in turn pressure in the rest of the supply chain to do more in um, avoiding deforestation, particularly deforestation that was leading to forest fires in, in the Amazon. Um, so that, that's one, uh, you know, so once you've got these agreements in place, you also need these agreements to be monitored and you need um, a level of transparency throughout the supply chain that allows um, civil society, advocacy groups, um, in other investors to um, be able to see who is, um, who is uh, reaching their commitments and who's reneging on their commitments. Uh, a similar agreement exists across um, consumer brands companies. It was signed in 2010 called the Consumer Goods Forum Net Zero Deforestation Commitment. Unfortunately, it turns out um, in 2020 uh, that consumer goods companies, very few of them had met the commitments under this agreement. So, so, so are we starting to see signs, though, that um, that the big three and other asset managers are 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 starting to change their tune on this? I mean, there there was a history where they where they were standing by and not doing very much. Um, obviously, um, um, you know, climate change has, has really become much more of a of a of a front burner issue. Um, you know, we're seeing BlackRock's uh, chief executive Larry Fink talking about climate. Um, are we starting to finally see any evidence anywhere? that uh, you know, investors who care about deforestation uh, can you know, at least feel like maybe they're there's, there's starting to turn a corner uh, when it comes to doing something about this problem. Um, I think we are. Um, and there's a few things I'd point to. One is you know, some emerging investor groups that are getting together to, um, you know, to renew pledges and, to, and not only to make pledges, but to think through the, you know, how you affect change within your portfolios and, and in so doing throughout the, the uh, supply chain. So um, to, you know, there's uh, the uh, Finance for Biodiversity Pledge was signed in 2020. So it's a small group of investors, but that has the potential to grow and become very influential because one of the areas that they commit to is engaging on deforestation. Likewise, um, the Natural Capital Finance Alliance, another investor group getting together to think through the tools and, and data that investors need to be able to affect change in their um, in, in their portfolios. But perhaps the most recent and, and obvious piece of evidence that we have that, that even the largest asset managers are getting very serious about addressing deforestation is um, Procter and Gamble's vote uh, last October. The, um, and that's of course the vote that, that caught our attention and, and that led to the article that, that we wrote, um, which was 68% um, of shareholders that voted on that resolution, um, which was put forward by Green Century, um, asking the company to, um, to create more transparency into how it is um, sourcing its um, agricultural commodities and how it's in, and what sort of pressure it's bringing to bear on its supply chain right. to ensure um, that its supply chain is deforestation free. 
Um, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street all supported this resolution. And this was against the recommended vote of Procter & Gamble's board. So, I mean, that's really significant. 68% of shareholders opposed Procter & Gamble's board um, in voting for that resolution. And that resolution actually, I mean, sorry, that resolution was actually quite powerful. It, it, It went further than previous deforestation resolutions did. So from an investor standpoint, who's looking at this issue and looking for their portfolio, um, what sorts of things should they be looking for? Is, is, is uh, how, how these fund companies are, uh, are, are pressuring companies uh, in, in the supply chain to um, do more work on this front, disclosure? Um, is it evaluating the actual uh, companies that are in their portfolios? Um, what are you know going to other resources? You know what what would be just a couple steps for for the average investor to take here who cares about deforestation? Right. I mean, for the average investor, there's there are, there are um, some um, options to look. You can look at the portfolio itself and um, you know and evaluate. And there are um, you know I'll point you to like deforestation free funds. You know, a website where you can go and you can look and see you know, what is the uh, deforestation exposure um, of a portfolio. So there's some tools, um, forests and finance, they're tracking um, banks and investors exposure to deforestation. So there's some online tools that you can use to investigate um, exposure to deforestation at the portfolio level. But I would actually go further and say, you know, it's it's um, really powerful when asset managers use the holdings that they do have to affect change. Mm-hmm. And so there, what I would do is look at the proxy voting guidelines of the asset managers um, offering the funds in which you're invested. Do their proxy voting guidelines um, provide a position on deforestation? Look at their engagement reports and their engagement policies to see whether deforestation has been identified as one of the key themes. Um, and Look at the kinds of materials that asset managers put out. You know, increasingly asset managers are putting out educational materials on their websites for investors to deepen their understanding of key ESG um, issues. And so, you know, I've, I have personally seen um, materials on deforestation, and I think that goes a long way to educating the end investor and, um, and explaining the kinds of actions that the asset manager may take um, to affect change through their investments. Hey, Jackie, thank you so much for uh, being here today, um, talking about this imp- really important story that affects basically the entire globe. Uh, Jackie Cook, Director of Investment Stewardship Research at Morningstar, thanks for being here today. Thank you. And lastly, Hortense Bioy explains greenwashing. In the context of investing, Greenwashing is making unsubstantiated or misleading claims about the sustainability characteristics and benefits of an investment product. Greenwashing comes in a variety of shades and intentions. And I think it's worth distinguishing between two types of greenwashing. There is intentional greenwashing, which is when asset managers overclaim and oversell what they are actually providing. And this type of greenwashing is clearly problematic and corrosive to long-term trust and credibility. There is another form of greenwashing that often comes down to an expectation gap between investors and asset managers. So here, there is no real intention from the asset manager to overstate the green credentials of a product, but the investor expects more. 
because there's no common definition of green, the investor has a certain idea of what green should look like without realizing sometimes that it is not practical or in the best interest. Now, both types of greenwashing can be largely addressed through disclosure and investor education. Asset managers need to be upfront about what's green or sustainable about their products and report on the ESG characteristics of the products. Company as well must do the same and also be transparent about their business practices. At the investor level, greenwashing is a problem because the investor could be disappointed or feel cheated because they have their own idea of what green is. When they look at their portfolios, they may see companies that they didn't expect to see, for example, fossil fuel companies. Greenwashing is also a problem for the planet and society. If money is not flowing into activities that are necessary to solve environmental issues like climate change and social issues like rising inequalities, for example. To spot greenwashing and avoid it, due diligence is key. First, an investor needs to look beyond a fund's name or label and understand what the fund's objective is. What does the fund aim to do? Is it a fund that aims to invest in companies with lower ESG risk? Does it aim to invest in companies that offer solutions to the world's biggest challenges? Does the fund claim to have some sort of impact? Then the fund's claims need to be tested. An investor needs to look under the hood, look at the fund's holdings and the ESG characteristics. Many funds with a climate theme, for example, don't actually invest only in green companies. They may invest in so-called transition companies. These are companies that today don't necessarily have good green credentials. They may even have exposure to fossil fuels, but these companies have the intention and plans to improve their environmental profile. An investor must feel comfortable with this type of companies. Morningstar and other organizations provide ESG metrics and ratings that enable investors to assess the sustainability profile of investment products. The key is to find the right data points. Often, an investor will have to use a combination of metrics to get the complete picture and make sure that the investment aligns with the sustainability or green preferences and the financial objectives. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances.
Morningstar Research Services LLC is a subsidiary of Morningstar Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.